please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. And when you have found that, if you're looking for it, I'd invite you to stand, please, as we read this passage of God's Word together. Romans 8, 12 through 17. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of God. All right, hold on. Don't sit down yet. Don't sit down yet. Don't sit down. Uh, I, I realize we have enough new people in our church who don't know our custom that when we say uh, uh, thanks be to God, we actually uh, say it like we're thankful, <laughs> like we're grateful, like we're, we're excited that we have access to the living and active word of God. Amen. Amen. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for indulging me. From this passage this morning, I'll preach from the title, Debtors Set Free. Debtors Set Free. In an article published back in April, MSNBC discussed a survey about how student loans have impacted millennials. Any millennials here impacted by student loans? Any, any non-millennials here impacted by student loans? And, and in the survey, millennials were asked about how the debt from these loans had affected their decisions. 27% of those surveys surveyed said that they had put off purchasing a home because of their loans. 24% had to cut back on building an emergency savings reserve. 17% needed to live with family or friends to avoid paying rent. 12% had postponed having children, and 10% of those surveyed had delayed getting married. Now, most of us know what it's like to be in debt. School loans, car notes, credit card bill, a mortgage, and so on. And if you've ever been in debt or are currently in debt, then you know that even when you're not consciously thinking about your financial obligations, they're always there, lingering just beyond your peripheral view. We're reminded of our debts any time they keep us from doing something we want to do. In his letter to the church in Rome, Paul reminded the early Christians of their former indebtedness. A more literal translation of verse 12 reads, So then we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Now the word flesh here carries the sense of 
sinful nature. And Paul taught the Roman Christians that the Spirit led them from debt to inheritance. The sinful debt that used to hover over their heads had been canceled in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now last week on Pentecost Sunday, Pastor Michelle preached about listening to the Holy Spirit. Because the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ has poured out his spirit on all who believe in him, we are able to practice listening and responding to the Holy Spirit. In fact, over a recent period of 10 days, three different people have emailed me with a, a dream or a word they believe the spirit had given them for me. And guess what? Even though all three were distinct, they all very much had something in common. God is good. Amen? Amen. The Spirit is moving and speaking. And while the Holy Spirit speaks to you and to me in particular ways for our own personal encouragement and conviction, in this passage we see one of the common ways the Spirit moves in all of our lives. And I would put it this way. Children of God are led to freedom from sin by the Holy Spirit. Children, are, children of God are led to freedom from sin by the Holy Spirit. That is to say that one of the common ways the Spirit speaks and moves is to address our debt to sin. How? How does the Spirit lead us to freedom from that debt to sin? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, in these few verses, the Holy Spirit does two things. The Holy Spirit changes our status. Can you say changes our status? Changes our status. And the Holy Spirit confirms our status. Can you say confirms our status? Those are my only two points this morning. Let's start with the first. The Holy Spirit leads the children of God to freedom from sin by changing our status. Now, the Apostle Paul uses the word flesh in this passage and throughout the letter to the church in Rome. It's a Greek word that really carries the sense of our sinful nature. Elsewhere in the letter, Paul talks about the realm of the flesh. He, he writes about how the flesh is hostile to God, how the flesh cannot please God. Now, Paul here is not equating flesh with our bodies, the, the, the bodies that God gave us and, and created us in his image. And, and neither when Paul talks about the flesh is he referring to specific sinful actions. He does that elsewhere in this letter. He identifies sins like greed, depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, arrogance, boastfulness, so Paul has no trouble identifying specific sins, right? He's doing something different here. When we think about sins, we tend to think about a particular action, something that we did or something that was done to us. But with flesh, Paul is broadening the horizon to something bigger. Paul is reminding us the that the world you and I inhabit is not neutral. That the world we live in has been corrupted, infected with sin. It's not to say that the world is irredeemable, amen? amen? It's not to say that God has abandoned the world, but that the status quo that you and I experience is not neutral. 
And by cooperating with the status quo of this world, of this sinful world, we are cooperating with sin. Anybody seen the sitcom The Good Place? Anybody? I want to ask you all to talk back to me this morning. Okay, so a few of you have seen it. I was fascinated by the show, uh, mainly because I don't watch a lot of sitcoms. So, you know, um, I was fascinated by the way this show ended. If you've, not, if you've not seen it, let me try not to say too much about it. But, you know, the title kind of gives it away. It's about the good place, heaven. And there's also a, a bad place. And as you get deeper into the story, what you find out is that it's been a lot of years since anybody actually made it to the good place. Right? Everybody's been sent to the bad place. And... And when the main characters look into this and they try to figure this out, what they find is that the reason that nobody has gone to the good place in many years is that the world has gotten so complicated that it's impossible to actually do enough good in order to make it to the good place. That even something as innocuous as buying a new computer means you're complicit potentially with child laborers on the other side of the world. Or buying a piece of fruit means you're complicit in, in, in you know, the, use, the overuse of pesticides uh, somewhere else in, in the world. So that there's no way to actually be a good person. Now, I have all kinds of problems with uh, the good places uh, version of heaven. The idea that you could do enough good to make it to heaven is a, a sort of complete affront to the gospel of, of grace that we know in Jesus Christ. Uh, and the, vision, the, the version of heaven doesn't include God at all. So that's a little strange to me as well. But I actually think this, this idea of complicity with a corrupt uh, system is very much in line with what Paul is talking about here when he talks about the sinful nature in the flesh. That, that, that we are complicit with a corrupt status quo. And, and so Paul says that, that our complicity leads us to a particular kind of status. We are debtors. Four times in, in, in the book, Paul says that we are slaves to Sin. In other words, our captivity to sin, to the, to the flesh, to the sinful nature, our captivity is complete. Our debt is total. There, there is a particular uh, bend to this status quo. Paul says if you live according to the flesh, you will die. The, the natural end result of this way of life is death. There's an echo here, if we're listening to it, to a much older story a story that the people of God would have remembered in their own kind of uh, origin story when God rescued them from captivity in Egypt. A people who had been captive for, for generations, who had been, been labeled as enslaved and captive for generations. Uh, a people whose, whose status meant that they would be captive, that their children would be captive, and so on. This people needed a divine intervention. And God intervened. God changed their status from captive, from indebted to enslaved to the free children of God. We need to remember this. We need to not move too quickly past this. If you're not a Christian today, one of the ways to say this is that it's entirely possible that your situation is worse than you had imagined. That is not just a, a particular action or a particular moment, but, but there's a way in which you are complicit with a status quo that is all-encompassing, that your captivity is complete and total. Now, the good news is we're going to see is that, is that the, the solution to this is far better than any of us could have imagined. Amen? That the gospel of grace in Jesus is, is, is far better than anything we could have come up with our own. For those of us who are Christians this morning, we need to remember the relationship we know with God and with one another is a, a, a total and complete gift of the grace of God. Amen? You and I could not have worked hard enough 
to create this reconciled relationship with God. So, Paul says, this is our new status. We have been moved from captives and debtors to children of God. In verse 14, Paul says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Formerly, you were a debtor. Formerly, you were a captive. But now, Paul says, you are a daughter and a son of God. Do you remember the parable that Jesus told in Matthew about the, the man who was, who was so in debt that he would never be able to pay it back, no matter how many lifetimes he lived. I mean, his debt was complete. And, and, and the, the person he owed the, the money to calls him, and he says, you gotta, you got to pay this back or I'm going to throw you into, into debtor's prison. And the man says, no, no, let me go. I'll work extra hard. I'll pay it back. And it's, it's kind of a, a sarcastic uh, a narration because there's no way this man could have ever paid back how much he owed. And the, and, the, and the man to whom he owed the money eventually just forgave him, gave, uh, forgave him completely of, of, of his debt. This, this is the, the view of our change of status, from a status that, that, that held us captive, that we could do nothing on our own, to something that only God could accomplish for us, free daughters and sons of God. The way Paul describes this is in verse 15, he says, you have received the spirit of adoption. Now, Paul here is drawing on a, a kind of Greco-Roman legal reality in which a, a family could uh, legally adopt a child. And in so doing, this child would receive all of the rights and, and benefits and privileges of every other child in that family. There would be no difference uh, uh, between the, the biological children in that family and the adoptive children in that family. That was a, a, a common, relatively common practice. Uh, in, in the Greco-Roman uh, society and culture. The child status, the adopted child status, was permanently changed for all time because of the action taken by the adoptive parent. And so the adopted child is eligible then for the inheritance of that family. Paul says it's just like that for those of us who have been adopted by our God. We are now heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Your inheritance is God. Your inheritance is God. Your inheritance is not a gift of God. Your inheritance is not something that God does for you or gives to you. Your inheritance, Paul says, is God. And you are co-heirs with Christ, which means everything that is Christ is now yours. Tell me that's good news to two or three of us this morning. The debtor's inheritance was captivity, was bondage, was diminishment, was death, ultimately. But child of God, your status has been changed. You are no longer bound. Indeed, the Holy Spirit has freed you at the deepest level of who you are. So your inheritance is healing and redemption and liberation and salvation and shalom. Your inheritance is purpose and meaning and hope. We have been born into a regime of sin, and yet the Holy Spirit of the living God has set us free. Your status has been changed. 
Do we still sin? Yes. Just me, right? Just no. me. Yes, we still sin, but we are no longer captives to the sinful regime. Our debt has been paid through Christ's death and resurrection, which means that every single day, you and I have been empowered to live more and more into our freedom. That every day we can leave behind the old country of death a little bit more and set our faces to the kingdom of life and liberation just a little bit more. Paul writes in verse 13, but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Rescued by Jesus, the Holy Spirit empowers us to leave behind the death-dealing regime of sin for the blessed and abundant life that God created you for. The Holy Spirit leads the children of God to freedom from sin by changing our status. If your faith is in Jesus, your status has been changed. You are a child of God. Amen? Okay, second and last point. The Holy Spirit leads the children of God to freedom from sin by confirming our status. Think back to those, uh, the, the, those Hebrew people who had lived for generations in captivity. The problem was that after they had been freed, they still in many ways lived as captives. They were prone to worshiping idols. They were terrified of the nations around them. At times, they even desired to go back to Egyptian captivity. You see, their status had been changed, but their beliefs and their imaginations hadn't caught up yet. They were continuing in many ways to live as debtors and captives rather than as the free people of God. Paul says, the spirit you have received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, so that you don't go back to that old country of death. You see, the, the, the Hebrews, even after they had been, been rescued, they believed that their God who had rescued them was kind of like that old Pharaoh. And so God needed those 40 years in the wilderness to confirm their new status as his children, as heirs of the covenant. That was just their problem, right? Like we, that's not... She, 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 she. Amy's good. Amy said that's just their problem. But for me, I can relate. Our status has been changed, but we often don't live into our freedom in Christ, do we? Most of us, my guest this morning, most of us in this parking lot this morning would, would say, yes, God forgives my sins. Most of us, maybe not quite as many, but most of us this morning would say, yes, I believe my status has been changed by the Holy Spirit. I am a child of God. But I wonder on a deeper level if some of us, a few of us, many of us, still imagine ourselves as captives. Still imagine ourselves as debtors. Let me suggest a couple of ways that... I've seen this play out in my own life and, and maybe for some of you as well. A couple of ways where, where we still imagine ourselves as, as, as indebted or captive to sin. The first is when we assume the permanence of sin in our lives. And usually it's a particular sin, right? 
usually it's a, it's a particular thing we fall back into, we stumble back into, we succumb to again. And we've been fighting that thing, we've been in that cycle for enough years that on a, a, a level of our imagination, we assume that that sin is going to be permanent the rest of our lives. I've literally had conversations with different ones uh, who have said, I, I, I've just come to peace that this is always going to be a part of my life. I've just come to accept that this is always going to be a part of my life. We assume the permanence of a particular sin in our lives. That's, that's one of the ways that despite the fact that our status has been changed in Christ, we still kind of live and imagine ourselves as captives. Are you with me? Okay, here's another one, and this, might, this is going to make a couple of us uncomfortable. We decide to call sin something else. There's, there's, there's something that we've struggled with. There's something we've wrestled with and it's still there and it's still there. And finally we just say, I don't think it's sin. I know what the Bible says about that thing, but the Bible was written a long, long time ago. And so it's different now. And maybe we're a little bit more sophisticated now. And maybe we know a little bit more now. Am I preaching to like... Yeah, no, okay. is, is it too close, Marquita? Is it like it's just like it's a little too... And so we decide to call it something different so that, you know, we don't have to wrestle with it any longer. And though those two things look very, very different from each other, right? The, 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 the permanence of sin can look like defeat in somebody's life. The relabeling sin can look like liberty in somebody's life. But can I suggest that in both cases, you and I are giving more power and weight and space to sin than we are to the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we have allowed sin to take up more. Esther, I don't know. Am I preaching to anybody today? Is this true? Is this true? Okay. That we, we, we're, we're allowing sin to define more of who we are and what's possible in our lives than we are the Holy Spirit of the living God. Many of us this morning would say, yes, I'm free in Christ. And yet we have not internalized that freedom on a deep level. Verses 15 and 16, Paul writes, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You see, not only does the Holy Spirit change your status from debtor to child of God with an inheritance, the Holy Spirit also desires to confirm your new status. Paul says that the Spirit testifies to your spirit, to, to your own heart, to that deep place inside of you. Now, what do we mean by testified? We have testimony services occasionally here at New Community. We may be due for a testimony service sometime. And we talk about our experience. This is, how, this is how God has been active in my life. This is what God has, has done for me lately. We talk about our experience. But a testimony is not a testimony if it's not true. Right? Brittany, I can't go to court and testify a lie, right? Because i got to put my hand on a Bible and raise my hand. And i got to tell the truth. So a testimony has to be true. So, so Paul says that the Holy Spirit testifies to your experience of God. But it's a true experience of God. The Holy Spirit is telling the truth to your spirit about who God is and about what your new status is with the God who claims you as his own. 
And from this testimony, from this spirit testifying in our own hearts, we cry out, Abba, Father. Now that, that word Abba is an is a intimate word. It's a tender word. It's a, it's a vulnerable word. It would have been a familiar word. You wouldn't shout that word to your father on the street. That, that would be for the intimacy of the home. That, that indicated trust and vulnerability and acceptance. This is not an intellectual understanding of a changed status. Yeah, I understand it. I know what this means. This is an embodied response to the confirmation of the Spirit that I am a child of God. The Holy Spirit not only changes your status from an indebted captive to a child with an inheritance, the Holy Spirit also desires to confirm this transformation with your own spirit. Let me say it like this. God is not content only to free you. God wants you to experience the fullness of his freedom. God doesn't want you just to know that you are free to be able to theologize about your freedom, to be able to say that I'm free. God desires you to experience in your bones your freedom in Christ. Tell me I'm preaching to a couple of you this morning. The vision here is of a life in which sin takes up less and less space in your life and the freedom of God takes up more and more space in your life. Doesn't that sound good? is a vision where we are less and less responsive to the lies and deception of sin and more and more responsive to the presence of God in the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, 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 so we are freed from this regime of sin and we are freed to move towards those places of brokenness and despair in our world. We have been freed from the regime of sin, so we are now freed to move toward those sinned against people and places in our world. This freedom is not just for our own benefit. The early church, in the words of, of our passage this morning, was known for putting to death the misdeeds of the body. In other words, the early church was known for guarding themselves against the kinds of sin that Paul identifies in this letter. Sins of financial exploitation, sexual immorality, state-sponsored violence, all of these things the early church was known for standing against. And yet, those same Christians were also known to be found in solidarity with the sinned against with infants who had been discarded, with widows who had been abandoned, with the sick and the dying who had been forgotten. The same Christians who believed they had been freed from the regime of sin in their own bodies found that they would rather abandon their lives than to align themselves with the empire's acts of violence and exploitation. I, I need you to see the connection this morning. Because of their status as God's three children, 
a status that was not theoretical to them, a status that was ratified in their hearts and souls, these early Christians were unafraid to step boldly into this sin-ravaged world with God's liberating gospel on their lips and in their limbs. Now look, there is a long-standing lie in many circles of American Christianity, and the lie goes something like this. You have to choose between a gospel which addresses personal sin or a gospel which addresses systemic sin. Anybody, anybody confronted this before? One which leads to personal holiness or one which leads to societal justice. So, so let, me, let me clear something up, new community. We stand with the Christians around the world and throughout time who have refused to make that separation, who have refused to believe that lie. If you are new this morning, let me just clue you in that if new community is going to be your church home, you are going to find a people who are learning to resonate with the Holy Spirit's confirmation about our freedom. We have been set free from the regime of sin, from the regime of death. So we will align ourselves with the same spirit of the living God who leads his people to confront the spirits of this age. Spirits of violence and oppression and poverty. Spirits of privilege and greed and supremacy. Those whose freedom is confirmed by our cry, Abba, Father will run to those places where women and men are treated as anything less than the children of God. We will stand watch over every place which is treated as less than the sacred creation of our God. So maybe we could ask ourselves some questions today about the ways the Holy Spirit wants to confirm our identity as children with a divine inheritance. What takes up more space in my life? Sin or the Spirit? Which reality orients my decisions? Captivity or freedom? What shapes my loves and desires, my assumptions and imagination? That old death-dealing country or God's kingdom of the abundant life? What defines my definition of what is possible in, in this life, in my life? The sinful regime of the flesh or the matchless inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus? Thanks be to God. Not only that the Holy Spirit has changed our status from debtors to sin to God's children co-heirs with Christ. But thanks be to God that the Holy Spirit confirms our place within the family of God. Beloved children meant to know ever more freedom, meant to join Jesus in proclaiming this life of freedom to a world that has known far too much captivity, far too much death. Can I preach the gospel real quick to you before I finish? You are no longer a captive. You are no longer a debtor. The power of the sinful regime has been broken in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Salvation has come to your home today. The old inheritance of sin and death and isolation, the old inheritance of shame and exclusion has been replaced with a new birthright. And so we can say with the Apostle Peter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Thanks be to God. Spirit of the living God, in this moment before we, before we return to whatever is in front of us the rest of this day, could you open up a, a bit of space in our hearts right now to confirm who we are in you? In this moment, would you say to us what we need to hear about what you have done for us? Speak, Holy Spirit, about the inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, about the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. Speak to us, not just about the, the reality and the fact of who we are, but about your desire for us to experience who we are in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Hey, uh, before the